Okay, well, good morning to you all. Um, I think I know most of you, but if I don't know you, my name is Drew Hunter. lived here for about three and a half years now, and I'm just really excited you guys are studying the book of, you gals, are studying the book of Acts. Um, Acts has been, I think, um, for most of my Christian life, it was an interesting book to me, but confusing, um, in that it just seemed to be uh, I liked reading it, things were happening in it, lots of events that were strange and interesting and curious and great, and really enjoyed learning about what happened, um, but really I think if you had maybe mixed up all the chapters, it wouldn't have made a big difference to me. Um, and then uh, several years ago, I started reading it more and uh, realizing you know, just the more time you spend in it, the more you can see what's actually happening there. And so even that verse that you're all, you all are memorizing, uh, Acts 1-8, uh, I'll make a few comments later, really sets the structure of the whole book. And you can see that the, the whole book has a movement to it, and the Lord is doing something very specific um, in, in moving this book along, because it's moving the story along of history, and this book records it. So I think it was even a year Maybe this has happened a couple times to me in the past few years. I'd read the book of Acts, and then just I'd get done with it and be planning to go on to the next book of the New Testament I was going to read, and I just hit rewind and just wanted to read it again. And I think I've done it three times in a row at certain times. And that happened again to me last year. I was reading through the book of Acts, and I was going to go on to something else, and then I got to the end of it, and I just wanted to read it again. Uh, so it's, it's become one of my favorite um, books in the New Testament. It has a lot of influence on me and continues to do, and I still feel like I'm scratching the surface. So I'm really excited for you all to be um, spending time in this. I know some of you have spent a lot of time in the book of Acts in recent years and previous years. For some of you, this may feel pretty new and fresh, and that's exciting, and it's exciting to be together to talk um, about what you're all learning together and how the Lord changes you through this book. Um, so you've started reading the book of Acts now, and um, as you'll be spending time reading this week after week, and Lord willing, being changed by it, um, I want to mainly address one question this morning. The question is this, what should we expect from the book of Acts? So what should we expect the book of Acts to teach us, and what should we expect it to do to us? Um, so some of you may not have many expectations yet. You might not have much in mind about the book of Acts and what to expect from it. Others of you who may have been Christians for some time, and you may have been familiar with this text, and you are coming to this, again in this study even, with certain questions in mind, certain topics that you're hoping to get clearer, under, more clearly understanding, or you're expecting uh, to have help with something in life. So here's a, a couple questions I want to ask you, and feel free to respond. Um, what, I'll just maybe read them all, there's four of them, and you can answer any of them, You're basically saying the same thing. What kinds of things should you expect to learn from this book? What questions do you expect to have answered from this book, is another way to put it? Or what topics do you expect this book to address? Um, or what ways do you expect to be changed? So, what are some ideas of things you expect to learn, questions you expect to have answered, topics you expect to, this book to address? Um, that you're hoping to be helped by. So anyone, a few of you can respond. What's in your mind as you come to this book with expectations? Spiritual gifts, okay, yeah. So you have questions about spiritual gifts, you expect this book to talk about it, and so you can come to it with that expectation, and you'll be reading looking for that. Yep. 
Yes, the work of the Holy Spirit, yeah. So we see he's, it's funny, I looked right down at my page, just in Acts 19, for no particular reason, I looked right at the words Holy Spirit. So he's definitely present in this book, and we expect to learn about his work, his ministry, his role, who he is. Great, yeah. And even really practically, we want to learn that to know how should we tell people about Jesus. So we're going to come to this book with that real hope of having help. How should we tell people about Jesus? How did they tell people about Jesus? And then as you read, you'll come across something and say, okay, this is speaking to that question that I have. Read it, yep. Anything else? Yeah. Great, what a good church should look like, absolutely. So we see examples of, of both of those throughout Acts or a healthy church and then there's really no perfect church in the book of Acts, which is somewhat encouraging as well. But yeah, there's, there's certain marks of a healthy church that are shown in this book. And so Luke even seems to give summary statements at times of just summarizing what the church was doing. And that's a model for us. Um, so that's good. Um, so here's an ongoing challenge in light of all of this. So this, it's right and good, and we should have these kinds of expectations coming from it. We want to have, I even encourage you, write down a bunch of questions you have about this book and come to it looking to learn from them. But here's a challenge. If we come to the book of Acts with our own questions and interests first in mind, then we may often miss what the book of Acts is actually trying to mainly say to us. We may miss the point of a text. So, for instance, if we are, have a question about the Holy Spirit or maybe... Um, maybe this would be, what did, what did Christians say to people about Jesus? Then we'll be reading and we might come across a chapter and there's a section where a Christian is saying something about Jesus and we'll be thinking, okay, how does this help me know what to say to people? But really it may be part of a section in Acts where we're actually just learning about really just who Jesus is and the way that Luke is showing us who Jesus is is by showing the Christian telling someone else about him. Um, and so we need to first come to the text saying, well, what is Luke trying to show us in this? Let's, let's bracket our questions from time to time and just read the text. And even it may not actually answer the questions we may have if we're trying to make it answer those. So for instance, here's um, an example of what uh, the, the point is. There's a book that the staff's reading through here right now called Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul Tripp. Uh, excellent book. You're all busy reading for acts and habits, um, but you can put this on, on your list. It's a great book just about Christians helping other Christians grow. So uh, subtitles, people in need of change, helping people in need of change. And uh, in here, Paul Tripp talks about how we can take the Bible and treat it like an, an encyclopedia or just a topical book. So, or we might have a question in mind and then we'll maybe find out all the texts that we think talk about that topic and then we'll read all those texts and try to understand what the Bible says about a topic. And, and here's, here's what he talks about the Bible actually doing. He says, here's how scripture differs from an, an encyclopedia. When I use an encyclopedia, I do not need to read other articles to understand the one I'm reading at the moment. One article has no connection to the other. There are no overlap, ap, overarching themes. In the Bible, however, every passage is dependent on the whole. And the whole Bible is held together by interdependent themes that run through every passage like rebar, 
the steel rods that reinforce concrete. If I handle the scripture topically, I'll miss these overarching themes at the heart of everything else God wants to say to me. These themes give me a sense of identity and purpose and direction that will fundamentally alter the way I think and desire and speak and act. They will go to the root of my problems, producing the change that lasts. The sad fact is that many of us are simply not biblical in the way we use the Bible. Being biblical does not mean merely quoting words from within its pages or going to it to find answers to our particular questions that we have that we've presently curious about. Being truly biblical, he says, means that my counsel, this is about counseling one another, my counsel reflects what the entire Bible's about. The Bible is a narrative, a story of redemption, and its chief character is Jesus Christ. He is the main theme of the narrative, and he is revealed in every passage in the book. The story reveals how God, and he goes on to talk about what God has done in history, and how when we come to the Bible, not looking for just how it answers our particular questions, but we just see what it's saying and get its main point, which is the Lord's main point to us, that's where true change actually happens. So if we apply this to the book of Acts, we have questions we want the book of Acts to answer, but we should also come knowing uh, this, that we may not even know the right questions to ask yet. Uh, the book of Acts is here to answer questions that we may not even be thinking to ask as we start in. So we should have questions, but we should also expect to get new ones or hear the book of Acts answering things we didn't even think to ask. And if we have that expectation, then we'll be able to hear what it's actually saying. We'll hear what Luke, the author, is trying to say to the readers, and that's how we discern God's voice to his people. So that's the long introduction of what my main point is this morning. The main point is we shouldn't use the book of Acts to answer our questions first. We should first find out why this book is here, what questions it is here to answer, and then that shapes our expectations. And expectations matter when we pick something up, right? If you're reading a love letter or a resignation letter, your expectations of what kind of letter this is at the outset is going to shape what you expect it to be saying. Um, and and you've got to be ready for a mid-course correction if you thought it was one and it ends up being the other, right? Um, so my goal this morning is to discuss a few reading strategies. Do you have, I think, five or six of them listed in front of you? Yeah, okay, so these are just reading strategies uh, to help us think and uh, have the right expectations as we read the book. They help us really approach the book um, with right expectations in mind. So we'll just walk through a few of these together, or all of them, some of them more lengthy than others. Uh, first, reading Acts in light of Luke's purpose. So with anything we read, we want to read according to his purpose. That's, that would be like a love letter or a resignation letter. What's the purpose of this? And that should shape our expectations for what we should be thinking to expect, and then we'd be able to hear it more clearly knowing what it is and what its purpose is. So you may have received... Um, a letter from someone or, or someone said something and the question you want to ask if you're confused is now what's the purpose of this conversation? What's the purpose of saying that? And that when you hear that then you actually say oh now I understand, right? So we want to do that with the book of Acts. What's the purpose? Thankfully we have a clue. Luke is writing this and he has a reason for writing it. So first step is to see what he says right in the opening verse of Acts. So if you have your Bibles open already, you can do that. If you don't, you can turn to Acts 
um, chapter 1, right at the beginning. And he says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So there's a first book that Luke has written here. And which is that? Yeah, Luke. The Gospel of Luke. Yep. And what he's doing here in Acts is a continuation of that. So he's a first book. This is a second. And so Acts then will continue the purpose of Luke, the Gospel of Luke. So uh, let's turn back to the beginning of Luke and see his purpose at the beginning of the book of Luke. It was just a couple books back. And he says this at the very beginning in Luke 1, verse 1. He talks about a narrative. He's writing a narrative of what has been accomplished among us. And that word accomplished, by the way, is a pretty full uh, word, um, kind of a technical term of sorts. It's, it's a word that refers to uh, really fulfillment. So God is accomplishing or fulfilling things among them. So Luke is writing a narrative of what has been accomplished right, by God, what God has accomplished, what's he fu- what he's fulfilled among us. And then in Luke verse, chapter 1, verse 4, he's writing to Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So this assumes Theophilus uh, has been taught some things about Jesus, about what's been accomplished and fulfilled among him and among them. And He's heard accounts of Jesus, perhaps maybe the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark already were written, and he's heard these and read these, and so Luke is having to answer the question, why write another one? Well, Luke has a particular purpose. If people have already heard about what's been, what's happened among them through Jesus, and there's already accounts written like Matthew and Mark, why, why does Luke need to add a third one? Well, Luke has a particular purpose here. He's saying that he, he is writing that Theophilus may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. So he, Luke wants people to have reassurance that the things they've been hearing and reading about Jesus are true. God has actually been accomplishing things among them. So he's saying, Theophilus, I want you to be assured that God's really at work. God himself is acting in these ways. This isn't just a random cult thing over here. God himself is doing these. So in a, in a sentence, you could say the purpose is to encourage people with the truth that God is accomplishing his purposes through Jesus in the world. So Luke's writing to provide this reassurance. And then we want to ask the question, okay, if that's his purpose, how has he set about to accomplish this purpose? And we see that here as well. In the first verse, he talks about a narrative. There's narratives written, and so he's writing another narrative of this, telling the story. And then in verse 3, he refers to what he's doing as providing an orderly account. So, so Luke, is, is, he's a historian, he's done research, and he wants to pre- present a very orderly account of what's happened to give this kind of assurance to Theophilus and others. So question we're asking this morning would be how does this shape our expectations as we read the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts well we're not going to be expecting this to have straightforward instruction like the letters of Paul clear commands that are unambiguous 
and are heard. This is a narrative. It's the story of the early church in Acts. And so the way it instructs is a little bit different. It instructs us by telling us what God has done and how we find ourselves caught up in this story. And that's a different, a different way to learn and to be changed, actually, right? There's a difference between hearing a command and someone telling you, this is who you are. This is what the world is like. Here's what God's doing in the world, and here's your place. You know, so it's really like you're, you're in a, you're going to be in a movie, and someone hands you a transcript of everything that's happened before your part. Even before you read your lines, you know a bit of what you're supposed to start doing. You, you've seen the narrative, and here's your place at it. Uh, that shapes who you are and what you're supposed to do. That's, that's kind of how the book of Acts works. And so as we read, we're going to have to have discernment with, okay, now what is just describing what happened here that probably we shouldn't be repeating? And what's being described here that really we should learn from by positive example? So when Luke describes a church, for instance, and he talks about two people lying and the Lord strikes them dead, that's not going to be a model for us to want to follow. Okay, act like those Christians in that church situation. But when he says the whole church was gathered together and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was built up and it multiplied. That's probably more likely a statement of positive affirmation. But Luke doesn't give us a footnote and say, now this is what you're supposed to pursue. So it's going to take some wisdom reading it and talking about it together to know what we should expect the Lord to be doing. So with every text, uh, here's the question we can ask. In any, in any text or theme you come across, whether it's something about things we've talked about already that you have questions about spiritual gifts or the Holy Spirit or a healthy church or how to speak to people about Jesus, this question should be asked. How does this text that you're looking at serve to encourage people that God is fulfilling his purposes in Jesus? And if that's Luke's purpose in writing this, and he's ordering things, and including things, and excluding others, because he's trying to encourage Theophilus that God is really accomplishing his purposes in Jesus in the world, and I want you to have assurance of this, then in any text we look at, we should ask that question, really first. Um, and as we do, you will find that that actually is very illuminating. Um, when we, we have Theophilus's, if you will, perspective, uh, he's receiving this with that purpose, and then we read things with that purpose in mind. So that's just a question to write down and keep coming back to, to as you study this book. So that's a reading strategy. Uh, here's another one. Reading Acts in light of Luke's gospel. Be more brief about this, but um, if you remember how Luke introduced the book of Acts and how he spoke about Jesus, you can turn to Acts Again, if you want, we might flip back and forth a little bit so you can put your finger in Luke as well. But he says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So he's referencing the Gospel of Luke here, and it's what he's calling the first book. This is his second, and he says he's dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, what does that, that way of putting it imply is happening in the book of Acts? Yeah, it's after. Yeah, absolutely. So Jesus began to do and teach him things. This is after that. What does it imply about Jesus? He's still doing things, yeah. So he doesn't just say, in my first book, I talked about all that Jesus did and taught. And now this is about the church. No, he says, in the first book, 
It was about all that Jesus began to do and teach uh, because Jesus is still active because he's resurrected, he's risen, he's ascended, he's enthroned, he's the king, he's the one active even in the book of Acts behind the scenes. And so this helps us see that we should keep Luke and Acts together, view them as part one and part two. Um, sometimes we can call it you know, Luke-Acts, Luke-Acts, one kind of two-volume work. And so if you think about the difference of them, it's really just in time then. In Luke-Acts part one, it's about what Jesus began to do and teach. It's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. What he accomplished for the salvation of his people. And in Luke-Acts part two, which is what we call the book of Acts, this is about what Jesus is continuing to do through his church. And putting that with what we've already seen about the purpose of Luke and Luke-Acts, we might say this, that volume one is about certainty, about what uh, the fulfillment of God's plan, part one. Acts is certainty about the fulfillment of God's plan, part two. And God's plan is being fulfilled through Jesus. So part two doesn't make sense without part one. So if you have a spare couple hours, read through the book of Luke sometime early on in this study. And you may even notice parallels as you go through the book of Acts because there's many, uh, many similar themes. Uh, Luke's very concerned to inform Christians about some some themes that are central to Jesus's ministry and the church's ministry, like caring for the poor, um, about inclusivity with all ethnicities, um, about the role of the Holy Spirit empowering people. The Spirit came upon Jesus and empowered Jesus in his ministry. We see the same thing in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit comes upon the church and empowers Christians in the work of ministry. A lot of the same parallels because Luke's showing that this is really one story here. So, uh, third reading strategy, reading Acts in light of the story of the Bible. So, so far the first two reading strategies have really, we've needed to go back to the book of Luke uh, to understand the book of Acts. So we're going back to Luke to think, see, okay, how do we understand the purpose of the book of Acts and how do we understand this is kind of part of a two-volume work. Now we can go back further to the Old Testament and read the book of Luke in light of the long, big story because... Luke said that this is about what God has accomplished or fulfilled among us. So God's doing something, he's accomplishing things, and this isn't when he started accomplishing things. Right? He's begun that long ago, he's made promises, and they're coming to fulfillment here. So one way to get at the big story of the Bible in Acts is to look at the bookends of Acts. So look at verse 3 of the first chapter of Acts. I'll just note a theme that's in Acts that's helpful to notice here. Uh, it says that Jesus presented himself alive to the disciples after a suffering by many proofs. By the way, that would be a little signal of Luke again. He's writing that Theophilus may have certainty, so he includes that note. When Jesus was alive, he showed himself to the disciples with many proofs. So that's another, if we have that category, we'll just read and we'll say, oh, that's interesting. Luke is kind of just noting that there's evidence. Um, and then he said, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So the summary that Luke says of Jesus' teaching after his resurrection is the kingdom of God. Then if we turn to the book of Acts at the, all the way at the end, the very last verse in the book of Acts, this theme shows up again. This time on the mouth of the apostle Paul. And we can read the last two verses. 
It says that Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him. That would be Luke's inclusive theme. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about all the Lord or teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So there's the Apostle Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so what Luke is showing us um, in the book of Luke and Acts is that when it says we've, when he writes at Theophilus and says, I want you to have certainty about what's been accomplished among us, that's what's been accomplished. The kingdom of God is being established. And so if you read the book of Luke, you see this is a central theme. Jesus comes and he says, the kingdom of God is among you when he's here. And then we come to the book of Acts and we see that Jesus was teaching the disciples about the kingdom of God when he was risen from the dead. And then we see that the apostle Paul, all the way at the end of the book of Acts, is still proclaiming the kingdom of God because that's what God is fulfilling. And that's what, what Luke wants Theophilus and all the readers to know the Lord is doing. He's saying, I want you to have certainty about the things that have been accomplished through Jesus, namely, that the kingdom of God has come and is spreading. And so when we read Luke in light of the big story of the Bible, we see how important this would have been. Because the kingdom of God is a way of summarizing really where history has been heading all along. Really, what, it's a way of summarizing all of the promises of the Old Testament and what they're pointing forward to in light of this big story. So um, we can tell the story briefly in light of that. God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2. And what Genesis 1 and 2 is really a picture of, you could put a heading over those two chapters, called the kingdom of God. God's presented as a king, ordering his creation. He creates Adam and Eve in his image. That's actually what kings did in the ancient Near East, at the time Moses would have been writing. They created images of themselves, and they'd put them all over their empire as kind of representatives so people would know the king is in charge. The king whose image this bears is in charge. So God creates people as his images to be, and he says, have dominion. So they rule in his place to bring flourishing to the world. So that's the kingdom of God. Humans know God. They submit to him as the king. They are royal themselves, and the world is flourishing under their rule. And then that's how the world would continue to be until sin entered the world. And Adam and Eve rebelled against God as their king. And they were, in, in a sense, kicked off the throne um, that they had because they aren't able to exercise dominion. We aren't able to exercise dominion as we were made to do, as fully as we were made to do. The world's disordered then, so put humans in charge of this world, as has happened, and what kind of flourishing do we get? Right? It's, it's a mix. There's glory here, and there's brokenness here. There's beauty here and flourishing here, and there's also decay and unraveling here. So the place is a mess. So God set out then to bring his kingdom back and restore the world. And so he made a promise even right when Adam and Eve sinned and said, um, through, your, through one of your descendants, your seed, the serpent, right, Satan, who's part of this mess, will be crushed. Right? It's the first signal that God's going to set things right again. And then he starts with the people of Israel, chooses Abraham, creates the people of Israel, and he calls them a kingdom. They're a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. And so they then were to be a light to the world. They were to show what it means to be where God is their king and where they are a kingdom 
and royal. They were to show the world what it means to be the kingdom of God, to show the world what it means to, to have flourishing and, and they have the land of Eden even flourish under their care. And how did that work out? Yeah, it didn't work out. Same exact story as what happened in Eden. Just like Adam and Eve rebelled against God and were kicked out of their land, Israel rebelled against God and were kicked out of their land. So it's Eden all over again. And so God promised that there would be a new king who would come uh, in the line of King David, and he would begin to restore everything. Everything would be set right again. Peace would come. Creation would be restored. Flourishing would come. God's spirit would be poured out as part of this flourishing, poured out on people. and Everything would be beautiful again. The kingdom of God would come. And so what Luke is showing Theophilus is it happened. Um, it doesn't look like it in many ways, but there are little outposts of the kingdom here in churches because when Jesus came, he said the kingdom of God's at hand. He died for our sins, what got us in this mess in the first place. He rose again as the king, and now he's restoring people uh, to their original calling. And so Luke is trying to say and show how the kingdom of God has come in Jesus in the book of Luke, then the book of Acts is all that Jesus has continued to do and teach, meaning this is how Jesus is advancing his kingdom now. It was longer than I planned that point to be. Um, so we'll have to go a little more quickly. Um, any, any questions? We'll just stop. Questions, thoughts, clarifications? You can't really have, you know, plan for a two-minute summary of the story of the Bible, I guess. I mean, you can do it quickly, but it's really easy to get carried away. And that was even brief, right? Okay, well, another reading strategy, reading Acts in light of the Old Testament. So what we just talked about is when we read Acts, read it in light of that big story. So as we read every text and have movement, be asking the question, how does this show the kingdom of God has, that the kingdom of God has come and that it's spreading? Because that's what Luke's trying to show. And then we can get more specific. How does the book of Acts, um, how do we read this in light of the Old Testament? Not just the big story, but particulars. Because in the Old Testament, that's where the promises were given that are being fulfilled. And so the people of God were expecting great things to happen because God promised great things. And so the book of Acts is filled with quotations, right? You just flip through it, and if your Bible kind of offsets quotations in the Old Testament when they're lengthy. You see lots of those throughout the book of Acts. There's just allusions and what we could call echoes that are more subtle, that are just strewn throughout. And the more familiar you are with the Old Testament, the more you'll hear those echoes throughout the book. So here's one way we should expect this. Um, at the end of the book of Luke, Jesus said, um, actually, we can turn there briefly because this is helpful. Um, When Jesus had risen from the dead, talked to the disciples, was sending them on mission, in verses, chapter 24 of the Gospel of Luke, verses 25 to 27, he speaks to a couple disciples, and he says this, they were, all, they were saddened because he had died and they didn't know he rose yet, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, was it not necessary 
apparently according to these prophets, that the Christ, the Messiah, the coming king, should suffer these things and enter into his glory. And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then turn to verses 44 to 46. He met the disciples again, and he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And then he continues on and shows them some of what's been fulfilled. And so what, what Luke shows us in the, in the book of Acts is that what Jesus did to those disciples is still happening to people over and over and over again, especially with the Jewish people who had the scriptures. So that the disciples go out and are trying to convince people that they don't just say, let me tell you about a guy named Jesus and what happened. They say, you remember the Old Testament, right? You remember these particular promises, right? Jesus has fulfilled them. And then they spend time proving it. They're looking over the Old Testament to show them who Jesus was. So the Old Testament ends up being very important for those first Christians to convince people of who Jesus was. And so as we read the book of Acts, it's helpful to have that in mind. So as we come across quotations or references to the Old Testament, we're, we're reminded that this, is, this was central to the mission of the church. This was central to how these Christians thought of who Jesus was. And then we can go back to the Old Testament and learn along with them. So, um, here's a question. Um, we might want to ask, how would Luke's readers have picked up on, if there's, all, if there's a lot of just subtle references to the Old Testament all through the book of Acts, how would Luke have expected his readers to have caught those? Because you may read through the book of Acts, and it's easy to find the quotations when they start saying, well, you know how Isaiah said, right? It's not hard to miss those ones. But there's a lot of them that are more subtle. So even when in Acts chapter 3, when um, Peter refers to Jesus as the servant, a servant, refers to him as the righteous one, those are, those are echoes of Isaiah 53. There was one who would come, who was kingly, called a servant and the righteous one, who would suffer and die for the sins of the people, his people, and rise again. Well, Peter didn't say, by the way, in Isaiah, it refers to this, he just is talking and he expected his hearers to understand that he was referring to the servant and the righteous one from Isaiah 53. Um, and then Luke expects his readers to pick it up. And we're reading it, and I'm reading it, and I'm missing them. So um, any thoughts about, about that? I mean, it's a, it's a real question, right? Luke's including these things and expecting people to understand it, but a lot of people were new Christians, didn't have the Old Testament. So how does that hit you as you read this book, knowing that there's things that you're going to miss? and wondering even how the first readers would have gotten it. If any, just any thoughts about that as readers of this book? <laughs> That's right. They didn't, yeah, there's no cross-reference column. <laughs> yeah. It was tough for them, right? So how do you think they did it? Any ideas? How do you think they understood the references, the allusions, Yes, so that's a, that, would, that would answer it for a lot of them. And so it's helpful to know that many of those first people, people, the Jewish people, they knew their Bibles well. They knew the Old Testament well. 
They didn't all have copies of it, but they would read it together. They would gather together, um, synagogue, Saturdays, and it would be, the scriptures would be read. They were, um, you know, like, like Paul tells Timothy for Christians, be devoted to the public reading of scripture. I think when Paul's telling Timothy that, when the church gathers, be devoted to the public reading of scripture, it's because that's continuing the tradition that the Jewish people did. When, when the people of God gathered, they opened the scriptures and were devoted to reading it. And so, and then they'd, they'd learn it and they'd memorize it. Actually, having our own copies can be a hindrance because we then rely on, we don't rely on our memories remembering things because we always have it there. Let's not ditch our Bibles, but it's helpful to know that. Let's, we, you know, we can learn something from that. Yeah. Right. That's great. I actually hadn't thought about that. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's really helpful to me. So when Paul is even telling Timothy, be devoted to the public reading of Scripture, perhaps a central reason was because a lot of people here don't understand how Jesus is fulfilling it. So let's just read swaths of it together so we can all get familiar with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. That great point. That's right. Uh huh. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Good point. Yep. And so yeah, there's sometimes when maybe we'll see uh, references made, and and Luke doesn't intend for people to need to know the reference. It just comes out. Um, other times it's there. So yeah, there, there's communities that were growing and learning the scriptures together. So that's even what this whole Bible study is about, right? Learning together to hear God's word, become more familiar with it, let it shape our expectations. And so as you're even in your small group discussions together, there should be regular, I'd encourage you to have regular open conversations about what are you learning from the Old Testament in light of this? Is there anything you were reading in Acts that reminded you of something in the Old Testament or you looked for something in the Old Testament that might have been helpful and then explore it together, because um, that was a normal part of what they did. So I think about um, this, there's multiple audiences then, so some are reading this and picking up all the echoes and allusions and getting it. When, when Luke's writing about Jesus as a servant and the righteous one, people are getting it. They're like, oh yeah, the one Isaiah 53 talked about who would die and rise for the people, Jesus is that one. Others are thinking, okay, he served people and he was good. Servant, righteous one, got it, right? And that's okay. Because Luke's writing those, and it, it can hit at multiple levels. Because both of those are true, right? Jesus is called the servant because he served. And he's the righteous one because he was a good man. Fully good. Um, never sinned. And so I think of children's movies that, that are written at multiple levels. Some of them, right, are, are the, the movies to be watched by children, and they, they don't miss a beat. They get it all. But then as a parent, I mean, I even rewatch movies I watched when I was a kid. And I'm like, well, I didn't pick that up. That was an interesting joke there. What was that about? That was inappropriate, right? So there's, there's the point is that there's, there's multiple levels for multiple audiences, and so you can think of it that way. So don't feel intimidated if you don't know the Old Testament well. You're going to get it. But just know also that there's other layers. And so if you're here and you're, you're, in, you're in your small group and you don't know much of the Old Testament, you don't know much of the book of Acts, you're actually a great blessing to the rest of the group because there's a freshness in which you're reading it and that you, you're, you maybe have not lost your awe 
And so sometimes as Christians get to know the Bible, we get caught up in just all the details and putting it together in our minds, and it becomes merely an academic exercise, and all academic exercises have the goal of worship. And so um, you can spur everyone else on to worship what we're seeing here. And then those of you who know the Bible well can go deeper with more layers and say, yeah, that's all true. Here's another layer, right? And, it's, and in showing the Old Testament, the point wouldn't be, well, no, 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 here's how you're wrong and here's how I'm right because I know the Old Testament right now. No, no, no. It's here's another layer of understanding. And sometimes there's correction for sure that happens because not every first um, first exposure to a text where we get it right. We should be open to being corrected um, by one another. Um, so um, let's go to the last two briefly. Reading Acts in light of its structure. Um, Acts 1.8, as you guys are learning, this really unlocks the structure of the book. It's the outline of the book. He says, wait in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit will come upon you to give you power. That's Acts 2. That's what happens in Acts 2. And then he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Three parts. In all Jerusalem is Acts 2 to 7. And we see that's where the gospel's spreading. The Jewish people in Jerusalem. Then in Acts 8, we see it spreading more and more to all Judea and Samaria. And then from chapter 9 to the end of the book we see it spreading to the ends of the earth. And I think of chapters 9 to 12 as kind of a transitional hinge in the book. So, for instance, in chapter 9, we see that God calls Saul, whom he renames Paul, to be a witness to the nations, to be the missionary, if you will, to the Gentiles, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So that's his conversion. So we see the gospel spread through Jerusalem in Acts 1 to 7, gets into Samaria and all Judea in chapter 8, and then in chapter 9, we have the one who's called to be the one who primarily takes it to the ends of the earth. So he's called there in chapter 9, and then in Acts chapters 10 to 11, we see Peter gets a vision, and he's preaching to people, and what it's all about is the gospel going to people who are not Jews. He has a vision where the whole point the Lord is telling him the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles as well, non-Jewish people. And then Peter preaches, and Gentiles are converted, and he's shocked about it. And then he starts telling the other Jewish people, hey, guess what happened? Um, and the, the point for Luke is, Theophilus, you can have assurance. This is what was supposed to happen. I'm reporting this to you. Paul and Peter are both saying this is what was happening. Peter had a vision, and he, and the, the spirit fell on people. It was clear as day, the Lord's doing this. So have assurance, God is accomplishing his purposes. Um, so Acts shows us the spread um, of the gospel um, according to Acts 1, 8. And then finally, reading Acts in light of its thematic development, there's a lot of themes that are woven through this book. So you can even maybe just make an extra sheet of paper or somewhere at the beginning, and as you're reading the book, you might kind of notice something that's occurring, reoccurring. So just write a summary of that theme and write kind of verse references after it um, as you go, and you can kind of see how a theme develops in the book. And you may think something's a theme in the first couple chapters, and you'll write it there, and then it never shows up again. And that's helpful, because you realize you, you were giving it a shot. Other times, you'll miss one, and you'll start, you'll be in maybe chapter 15 or 16, and then you'll read something, and you'll think, now that sounds familiar, and you'll realize it was all over the place, um, and you miss it. So that's, it's just a way of learning what Luke's doing, because he's weaving these themes together. So I'll draw attention to two, and then we'll be done. First, 
there's a theme, and this flows right out of Acts 1-8 as well, this structure of the gospel spreading. One theme is um, this theme of the church growing and multiplying. I'm just going to read um, several examples of this. Um, so the first starting point, chapter 2, 41. Those who received Peter's word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 2.47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Acts 4.4, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. 5.14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Acts 6.1, now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number... Acts 6, 7, and the word of God continued to increase, and the numbers of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Acts 9, 35, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Acts 9, 42, and it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. So it goes on and on like this throughout. So Luke is just, he keeps dropping this refrain in, because that's his point. As you read stories, they're not just to teach us, for instance, about the questions we have in our minds, remember, about the Holy Spirit or about a healthy church or about mission. It's about those things, but when you look for the themes, as they unfold through this book, you see that's really the main agenda. So there's a new question to ask that we might not have even had, um, and that is, how does the church grow and multiply? That's a central theme here, that a new question is rising. And as, as you go back to the book of Acts, you see that the word, the gospel word, is what causes the growth. As Christians speak, use words to speak to people, things happen, and that's how the church grows. So, for instance, um, in Acts 13, 49, Luke says, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Acts 19, 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And that was after radical conversion. It was after Christians who had become, people who had become Christians started burning their books, um, their magic arts books, and burned them. And so Luke's summary, what happened there? Oh, the word of the Lord prevailed mightily there. That's where the power is. That's what Paul says in Romans. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And Luke's just showing that in narrative form. So those are a couple themes to look for. Um, Final questions, thoughts before you all go to your small groups? Yeah. I have no idea. Maybe, does anyone know how Luke died? That's a good question, yeah. Okay, well, thank you for letting me be with you all this morning, and enjoy your time. <laughs>